Hello, and welcome back to another week of the DP World Tour Picks and Bets. Skylar Hoke here, Tom Jacobs coming off a Monday finish. Do you think not only the live guys fired up Rory, but the fact that we said he hasn't won a DP World Tour event in five plus years gave him a little extra motivation? Yeah, I'm sure he probably cares more about what we said than, than Patrick Reed, right? Um, you know, what was it, six years since his last regular DP World Tour win? I know that. One, if you're winning PGA Tour events in that time, it doesn't really matter. And two, you've won a WGC in that time, it doesn't really matter. But it's still like it's still a statistic, right? Like he's, he's still playing four or five events a year and and not winning them, which is something that people just associate with Roy McIlroy. So um, for all his brilliance this week, I mean, he was only like a roll of a ball away from going in the water on the 18th again. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, I felt good with the process, right? Um, we had guys up there throughout the tournament and as long as you're giving yourself chances um you know i would say over the weekend right saturday didn't really go our way going into saturday we were uh, looking looking very strong um yeah. so i would say a, a better start to the year than how i had felt last year even though i kick up with a winner and then you're right all over the board a good fall for us i feel as as volatile and this is a a different step right this week is is definitely different than last week as we are now stepping outside of rolex series events we are stepping into the weaker you're probably going to see definitely weaker fields than what we have this week uh throughout the year but not as top heavy with some of the pga tour guys and this is where maybe the can of worms can start getting open uh for the dp world tour season yeah, I think we'll see with the construction of your card, the construction of uh, Brad's card, and Lost Words gets kicked off tomorrow. Like, there, there's definitely some more interesting long shots this week, and that's taking Rory McIlroy out of the field, it's taking Cyril Hassan, Shane Lowry, Fleetwood, etc., out of the field. Uh, you feel like you can do it, and that's you know absolutely right. Um, I haven't done that necessarily this week when I thought I might have done. Um, I've kind of hovered around a similar sort of price range for most of my picks, barring one at the top, but. Um, you know, there's no right or wrong for this. I just look back at last year's tournament and, you know, there was a couple of big price, you know, um, runners at the top. But generally speaking, a lot of the better players did play well. Um, and I think that there is a little bit of a hangover. Like you said, it's not the weakest event yet. There's still a, there's still a few good players carried over from the two Rolex events because of the location, right? You know, we're still in the Middle East. So um, I think there's still an opportunity to kind of back some of the guys from the top. But, you know, be aware of those guys that you wanted to pick from, you know, especially the people we talked about, the ones to watch and things. It's probably the time to start bleeding those in chippings. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I, I think we're, I mean, we can roll right into, you know, Ross Alkaima Championship and kind of dig into the way this week plays out. And, and it's with, you know, a little tidbit on, um, you know, last year um, and, and last week. So Alhambra Golf Club got played twice last year. You're right. We had back-to-back events, two winners of it, Nikolai Hoygaard and Ryan Fox. What do Nikolai Hoygaard and Ryan Fox do? They drive the ball insanely well. And, you know, not just in the fairways, because they're not the most accurate. It is distance-driven. These guys at the course last year, they were not hitting fairways. They were hitting greens easily out of the rough. Uh, you know, you had golfers like Nicholas Norgard Moeller compete last year, who is just built around at distance, right? Um, and it's going to play into my card a little bit too as we talk. But the more of these young guys and, and 
golfers on different tours that are getting their shots on the DP World Tour. I mean, we talked thoroughly about Michael Fjordbjornsson last week um, and Ludwig Aberg, right? Um, Aberg. And, you know, what do we see? You know, Ludwig was the, the first round leader. And then Fjordbjorn Olsen, uh, or not Fjordbjorn Olsen, you talk about him. Fjordbjornsson, uh, there's so many. It's hard. Michael, you know, the young amateur, um, he, he led the field and off the tee. These kids and these players coming from different tours are immediately able to step into some of the best drivers that are out there, right? I mean, he, he was, Michael Dermjornsson was first in the U.S. Open in round two. Again, the best players in the world, and he's, he led that off the tee statistic by a mile. And again, he, he, he's a junior in college, right? So when we're looking at an event that is going to require excellent driving as the biggest asset to it. It's it, one, the best players in the world are the best drivers in the world, in my opinion, and no different than the way you're attacking the card. You know, the guys that you are on are prolific in, in this setting of the DP world tour, you know, um, year and, and have victories and are some of the best players because of their consistent driving. So to angle, we're going to attack from different ways this week with different players but it's still the same principle. Um, we, we had saw this course even back on the challenge tour, you know, where we saw winners that were, that were strong drivers of the golf ball. Audrey Arnaz was the last winner in 2018 with it, right? So I think we have an angle in and we're just attacking it from, from uh, different viewpoints of the odds board. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think one of the things is trying not to, we say this a lot and, and a lot of that is basically suggesting that we're just going to pigeonhole into these kind of big hitters, right? And, that's not necessarily the case. It's just that those guys have, you know, tended to play well. Um, when you look at last year, like Adrian Otegi, he's not the longest hitter. Um, I don't think David Law's particularly that long, although I think he can get it away. Uh, Johannes Veerman was up there, not the longest. Sean Norris, certainly not the longest. Like, you can compete, but there's a reason that Nicolai Hoygaard won by four shots. There's a reason that Jordan Smith was, you know, the only person that could keep, you know, in contention with him. Like, it is based on their driving. Smith does it a little bit more of accuracy than he does distance, but overall good driving numbers um so yeah i think i think ultimately we'll get to the same sort of conclusions just with different names yep absolutely um and, and it's a fun week i i i like to uh when you can push the chips on an angle that's some of my favorite ones now it's seemingly aligned um uh, across the board but and even in the odds board you know you're looking at the, the top gosh eight nine guys on the odds board, right, are, are golfers who are very strong drivers. So, like, there is definitely a way you can see, because you look at what are the best part of Adrian Moronk's game, Rasmus Hoygaard, Ryan Fox, Callum Shinkwin, right? Victor Perez is a great driver of the golf ball. But you're siding with last year's winner, uh, Nikolai Hoygaard, kick off your card. Tell us why. Yeah, Nikolai Hoygaard just strikes me as someone that will sort of have his courses that he'll go back to back in in his career. Uh, I think he'll just get used to places. And we talked about his volatility in the past and not wanting to back him at short numbers because of that. Uh, but I've just somehow managed to talk myself into it this week. I just think that, and this, this is the danger, and the one that we keep flagging is that like it looks like things are all lining up pretty nicely for him. Right? You know, he had back-to-back seventh-place finishes. Um, sorry, that was Rasmus. He had, he had back-to-back top 10 finishes um, coming into last week. He then finished 38th last week, but he was actually 16th going into the final hole um, and, you know, triple bogey to par five, which is just completely out of character for Nikolai Hoygaard. Monday finished, I don't know if he just kind of gave up on it, didn't really care. Um, so he falls down that kind of leaderboard. 
But again, it's just very much hitting the ball well off the tee, tee to green. Uh, even his approach has been pretty good um, in recent weeks as well. So, yes, there is a bit of volatility. Yes, I am worried about that. Interestingly enough, Ryan Fox missed the cut the week that Hoy, uh, Nikolai won, and then Nikolai missed the cut the week that Ryan Fox won. Like, they, neither of them managed to make both cuts. So, I think that's something to kind of keep in mind. But, um, yeah, I think that, that Nikolai Hoygaard is bridging that gap between him and Rasmus, as we pointed out. He has, he's now kind of shortened him in the in the price market. So, um, I'm going to go with Nikolai Hoygaard and give him a chance to kind of prove himself as a consistent player rather than just one that kind of flashes. Yeah. 100%. I think he's. I think he would be my pick of the litter, especially being on him two weeks ago, seeing how well he, he was with those irons. Um, and you're right. You can probably, I mean, what, two water balls on each team, right? You can throw throw yeah. away um, some of that, the, the statistics if you're able to kind of scrape out. And, and he was strong, again, um, overall last week. Now, if we trickle into kind of the mid-range here, um, you know, we're seeing golfers, two, two of them in which uh, – kind of address head on that I was very interested in obviously last week and and um I guess Guido's now priced you know in a much lower range Guido's 40 to one um Guido I think the best rule of thumb is when you get kind of down to these prices right that's when you have to kind of do a double take at it right I think it's very fair when he's triple digits 40 to one now I was going to say at a course that requires you know strong, strong driving, and, and he's not having that. He did have his best off the tee performance last week than he has had. Now, he did miss the cut last week because his irons fell off the cliff. But normally, you're not seeing somebody, or Guido at a course like this, bring his, his best game to the table that, that fits what you need. So I think I'm, I'm fair to pass there. The one I was extremely disappointed in was I cannot believe they priced Patty Harrington 35 to 1. I was going to go back to the well. Yeah, I was, was surprised by that. Awful on Thursday. Awful. But then he was the best player in the field on Friday. Yeah, weird. I weird, weird one. I think it kind of caught up with him, like what he'd done. Like he was right in the heat of the battle for most of the week last week. They, they talked about all the kind of uh, recovery he was doing. So completely understand. I completely understand your point about Guido as well. And it's probably the same sort of conversations, as I said, before, but we've been having about uh, Nikolai. So there is a kind of danger of that, but it's just one of those ones where I, if I look at Nikolai numbers now and he's 25, 22 to one, whatever, um, and he wins, I would I would actually still feel stupid. Like I know it's kind of half the price that he has been and it was probably, you know, way less than what he was last year, but, you know, he's just so capable now um, and he's still kind of priced with Callum Shinkwins and the, I mean, Adrian Otegi I actually thought was a good bet until the kind of number came in. Like, He's priced around those guys that have their own question marks, and yet he's, you know, pretty much answering everything we ask about him. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I'm I'm still uh, deeper down the board for where I begin, Tom. So let's go to your next selection. Yeah, I'm, I'm keeping the faith with Silvio Nelson at thirty-five to one. Uh, led the field in strokes gain approach last week, uh, and that was, you know, following a top twenty-five showing designs the week before, where he improved during the week. Um, he did miss the cut in back-to-back weeks here last year, but I don't really care about that. It was kind of when he was coming back to the, to the tour uh, more regularly. Just the fact that he's been inside the top 17 the last two weeks, tee to green, he's just got to turn that around the green game and even the passing round a little bit. Like, he's been really poor with his short game, which is weird for him. And I think any time that Phil Ronaldson's leading the field in approach and it looks like it's a consistent thing that can hang around... Um, you know, I think I think you should be sticking with him. Like I think he's a class of this field still um, at his very best, and you know, up, right up there with Victor Perez and people like that. 
Uh, and yeah, I, I think at 35 to 1, 40 to 1, I think the number's absolutely fine. Interestingly enough, Justin Ray put a tweet out saying that uh, Michael Theobjornsson led the field in off the tee and Theobjornsson uh, led the field in approach, which led probably to your little Freud and slip there. Um, <laughs> yes. But yeah, I, I think that, I think, yeah, I think it's a great time to be, you know, I've gone back to back veins here, but I think that Olison is or has already been what the Hoy guards promised to be. Um, and I think people have kind of forgotten that even over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, 100%. I think um, one of the more, I guess I would say, consistent, right? Four or five yeah. cuts in a row, back-to-back top 20s. You know you know what you're getting with him right now. It's can that short game catch up with it, which has definitely in the past. And, and um, just for the fact that like so, you, you expect people's finishes to improve once they get out of that Rolex series, you know, fields. Um, so if you're posting top 20 finishes in there, and that almost feels like he would have been a top five, top eight finish in this field, he's only got to improve slightly to kind of get in a win, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, I man, I, I could have bet come into here with 10, 12 bets. And yeah, not to I say seven is, is not a lot. <laughs> there's, there's definitely a ton of tempting golfers in this mid-range. Um, the one uh, that I am beginning the card with, and we talked, uh, we closed out the show, uh, the first show of the year with, with kind of digging into this guy is, is Dan Bradbury. Dan Bradbury's mm-hmm. down to 70 to one. And I think it's still a case of the unknowns with him, right? Um, he comes onto the DP World Tour after, you know, getting what, a sponsor start, T13, missed, and since then. So, you know, he goes in and he gets his win first event of the year, you know, deep, deep numbers, 200 plus to one, stays kind of in that odds range and continues to make cuts, makes cuts with relatively zero noise, right? Week afterwards, he was 13th through the first round, 22nd through the second round, kind of fell off in the weekend, expected. You know, he battled to make the cut the next week, and then he gets a little bit of break. First Rolex Series event, he's 22nd at the halfway point before a round three, um, 77, kind of threw him out of it, bounced back in round four. And then um, what really drew us, you know, back in, or, or me specifically, is, you know, he teed it up this morning, or, or yeah, this morning, in the final group with Rory McIlroy in the second ever race to Dubai or, or Rolex Series event, right? I mean, that to be said out of a golfer that we're not really sure what he is, um, is a lot to me. In and, and, and 70s, I mean, we don't know. I mean, you could zoom out at the end of the year and he is, you know, the Min Woo Lee of what, what was, you know, a couple of years ago, a golfer, you know, who has a little prolific or somewhat of an amateur career. Uh, Min Woo's is way stronger than Bradbury's, but you know, is, is a force to be reckoned with in your first year on tour, Kitsuyama. You know, like, there, there is that guy out there potentially in him and a willingness to, to do that. I mean, his his second and third round, you know, that we had last week, is, his 28th finish is so, you know, I mean, you bookended it with a 73 and a 76, right? You know, so you, you throw in a 63 and a 68 in there. This guy can absolutely play, Tom. And off the tee has been, you know, better for him even as of late. Um, so I, I really do think Bradbury is worth chancing for the time being when we get numbers like this. So I think I think we learned something about Bradbury yesterday, should I say, that um, he's not ready for the very top, which makes absolutely perfect sense when he's played, what, six, seven events on the DP World Tour and won one of them already. There's obviously a low pressure in South Africa when you're playing on an invite compared to when you're playing in a Rolex Series event with Mike, R- Rory McIlroy in the final round. Um, so I would say that upside, it, it, we're kind of 
uh, going to be a little bit hesitant on him, or I certainly will be going forward. But it's all about the off the tee. I mean, he was 12th in off the tee uh, through the first round. Had a really poor second round of his driver last week. Uh, but then was 13th on the Saturday. And then even today, when he was really poor, uh, he only lost just under, just, you know, only just lost. He was 43rd in the field, but he was terrible, like, all day scoring-wise. So it was pretty encouraging that his driver didn't completely fall off the cliff. So, yeah, I, I think that there's definitely an untapped potential still there, even though he's had that win already. It's going to be a really interesting week because we're going to find out that if he kind of performs in this field and he finishes 8th, 10th, 15th, is that kind of his range? And, and we talk about people, I guess, like the Matthew Pavons of the world and the Ateges and the, the people that would regularly finish in the kind of top 10, top 20 of these fields, but not quite get to the next level. Uh, is he going to be that for a little while? He's still, I think, he's in like 23, 24. I actually thought he was older than what he is, but he's, he's only actually turned professional a couple of years ago as well. So it's not like he's just new to the tour. He's just new to professional golf in general. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just so much with, with Brad Bear that I'm going to keep taking that that risk on. Um, I get to triple digits for the next selection on, on my end. I know you got one more here uh, in the, the deeper numbers. Who are you going with? I've got a couple of opportunities in this range, but it's, it's kind of, as I said before, I'm living in this range now. So Connor Seam is 55, 60-1, uh, 27th and 6th in his two starts here last year. He's now made seven cuts in a row, which I thought was really impressive considering how much time he had away from golf Seam. So that I was encouraged with. Then he's finished 28th last week, but he was 11th going into Sunday. And then the week before, he was 4th after 36 holes and finished 38th. So to me, he's actually, that suggests that it's there. He just can't quite put four rounds together, which we see from a lot of golfers. And as we said, kind of that drop from Rolex Series event down to this second tier, maybe even third tier DB World Tour event, you think about some of the other events in between. Just a really strong performer in these kind of fields, uh, kind of seem. So top 25 in approach the last two weeks, average top 28 in strokes against tees green. Clearly, there's an improvement uh, to be had. Obviously, wanting to be in the top 10 for both to really compete. But to me, kind of seem, we, we talked about him for a long time, waiting for that first win. Uh, you know, you think about kind of around the lockdown and, and that kind of period. He was, you know, on the cards every week for people, wasn't he? At various different ranges. I think he was triple digits one week and then, you know, twenty odds one the next. Never came for him that DP tour victory, but has won on the challenge stories, won the, the Turkish Airlines challenge. So it's not I always worry about people that have gone winless on the challenge tour, then been on the DP World Tour and been steady but still remain winless. But we've seen that he can win. He's played in all the big events like Walker Cup and things like that as well. So to me, I haven't really got any long term concerns over him. Just do want him to get over the iron as quickly as possible and it could be in this kind of field. Yeah, I, w- I would even say is like Sunday Sundays have gone way better than, than what they were two years ago, right? Yeah. Like maybe he hasn't found himself as a 54-hole leader in a little bit where those struggles came about, but he has found himself in the mix multiple times and performed better than what um, maybe the judgment had been on him previously. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty interested or at least started to see shades back of, of his um, countrymate, uh, Callum Hill. Callum yes. Hill looked good last week, right? Inside the top 20. He was inside the top 15 after his first round the week before and then blew up in round two. Really good to see him back playing well. Um, if it wasn't for the driver being what I'm looking for this week, I think I would have definitely bet on him. I like being early on those guys. Um, and he definitely could pay off for somebody soon. Yeah, I looked at both. And I think I just gave it the edge that seems played a lot more golf. I feel like Callum Hill's still early in the kind of road back, which is actually really encouraging to finish 13th in Dubai 
uh, off the back of two missed cuts in his first two events back. But yeah, just just want to say a little bit more from him. Like you say, probably not the the perfect event for him, but he has got that kind of leg up on um, Seam in terms of wins. Yep, hundred uh, percent. I'm intrigued too on your your next selection here because we we go back probably a year ago, and I feel like this golfer was priced with the rest of the bunch often. And and the reason I, I'm not really sure why why he might be just floating in the 70s again um, for for Johannes Veerman. Yeah, I, I was surprised, and that's mainly why I picked him. I mean, I've I've got justifications for it outside of price, but that was the main reason, right? Um, comes back to a course where he was 12th last year, was fifth going into Sunday. We knew that he had Sunday problems before his victory, uh, but he was eighth last week. I thought that was pretty impressive, considering he not played that much golf after you know before missing that cut in Dubai, he missed the cut in Houston Open on the PGA Tour, but he'd been 11th for the Mallorca Open before that. He's not played a bunch of golf, and I think kind of out of sight, out of mind for Johannes Veerman might be the case, but 11th in strokes gain approach last week. As I said, he's got that experience of playing well here last year. To me, Johannes Veerman, as you rightly say, was someone that was very, very popular um, last year. I kind of think back to the Crockers and the Veermans and, and the Americans that have been kind of dominating the DP World Tour of late, and they were they were right up there. And for some reason, Veerman's kind of dropped into this next range where you know, Bradbury is, who's obviously won this season, where Andy Sullivan, who's, a, you know, a strong winner. There is actually some names there. You know, Ewan Ferguson still floats in his price range. Eddie Pepperell, who was the flavour of the month for, well, more than one month uh, last year. He's surrounded by great players, but it does, does seem like he's just been kind of forgotten about a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure when Veerman won, right, it was probably like 30s, 28s yeah. even, like yeah. when he finally broke through, like he was on a stretch. Um, that saw him, you know, I mean, that open championship in 21, he was one of the more popular picks after he had been so well, right? Yeah. Um, so, and it's not like I feel like he's fallen off a cliff by any means. It's just, um, you know, that time of the year where you get some odd pricing, um, if you're not in tip-top form, and you could argue that, you know, he's in some decent form after, you know, after the last four. Like, we've got, like, I mean, it's going to be a popularity thing. Like, Andrew Johnston is the same price, but he's played one event in, how I don't know how long he's been out. Um and, and I like Andrew Johnson a lot, but and he, he made the cut and, and was decent enough last week in Dubai. But to me, I don't know why he belongs there when he's in eighth place. Like, like if he hadn't played well, then I get it. He hasn't played that much golf recently, and you know, out of sight, out of mind. But he finished eighth. I don't know what he needs to do to to be slightly far up in the odds boards. And even his worst round was a seventy-one. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an odd, like Yannick Paul, you can make an argument for yeah. right here too, right? Why is why is he 70 to one, you know, versus some of these other guys? And maybe there is a class and maybe that maybe it's for opportunity, you know, and and maybe it makes me double take this next selection that kind of falls in this odd range. But so so the DP World Tour made made a new rule, right? They're making a rule where they're making invitations to um, some of the additional tours that can feed into the DP World Tour for Order of Merit winners, like Daniel Van Tonder, for example, um, leading Sunshine Tour falls into this category, even though you know, he's a DP World Tour um, winner too. But, you know, that, that status can fall through this one. Um, and, and the other uh, invitation, and also getting the invitation to the Masters, uh, is Kazuki Higa. And, you know, Higa, short in stature, but a heck of a player, right? I mean, Higa we saw go on a, a strong run over the last couple of years um, when it comes to the Japanese golf tour, right? He had four wins on the calendar year last year. 
um, you know, came to the BMW International when he was first on my betting card last year, finished 10th in that event, um, and then made the cut at the Irish Open, missed the cut at the Open Championship. Uh, and, you know, the, the one that impressed me most, I think, is winning the Dunlap Phoenix um, this fall. You know, that's an event where you do see, um, you know, some PGA guys pop over. Um, so that's probably his biggest win. He was a dominant uh, performance as well. He didn't get the win, actually, in the Japan Open Golf Championship. Got out to there, but that was another strong performance. But his best win, in my opinion, was that Dunlap Phoenix. Um, I mean, he makes the cut, uh, or I guess the Zozo is a no cut, uh, makes the cut at the Sony. But, um, you know, he's just, I think he's a player, right? You take these shots with these type of guys. Um, and to me, I, my, my card's going to be a lot of that through the year. And I don't want to, I, I need to make sure I, I really think through that. You don't just make it an auto, but at triple digits, you know, I, I think his talent is still in that class where we're not sure where you get consistent DP World Tour starts. He's going to get that opportunity this year. Well, he, he just needs to look at the people that he, so he beat, uh, Mito Pereira by three strokes, Tom Kim uh, by another two strokes, Scott Vincent was there, he's a very steady performer, and Corey Connors. Thomas chased him down on that Sunday too, and he held yeah. him off. Yeah, like, that's a hell of a performance. Sure. So, you know, again, it's it's when you get, I mean, Bradbury, you know, in a similar spot, when you, you know you do that, like, you, you just, you might not have all pieces of the puzzle, but the odds give you the shot. There's one guy that I'll talk about and close out the card later that like, okay, let's see what you got, right? Let's see what you got when you get these chances. Um, and I'm excited for it. Um, man, Tom, I, I got six. I got five more. Five more. <laughs> if, if, you, if you need man. me to just kind of interject in, bet- in between, I can name some people um, that I did think about in these kind of ranges just to oh. kind of break things up. I'm not going to forget myself. Forget this for you guys. You mentioned Sean Crocker earlier. Sean Crocker, spot start on the Corn Ferry Tour this week in Panama. Wow. So um, last there was sponsor exemption winner last time with uh, Ben Silverman uh, on the Corn Ferry Tour. So, so Sean Crocker's popping over to the KFT this week. Interesting. Just throwing and that I, in there. Um, and I always wonder whether that is kind of what has not led to his downfall. But I always thought that once he got that win, in his head he was like, right, I should be getting the call up to get some of these invites now. I think he's always felt like he belongs on the PJ Tour because of what he'd done early in his career. And I get that. Like, it's absolutely fine. He's he's from there, you know, things like that. So um, I, I just wonder if that's a bit of distraction. So maybe he gets over there, gets settled on the Corn Ferry Tour, and you, know, you never know. Like like you say, Silverman. I mean, Silverman's playing Pebble Beach this week, so things change very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, two things before the long shots. One, if you're an audio listener, if somebody likes to, to listen to this on your, your journey into work on Tuesday and Wednesday mornings, we appreciate you or a home, you know, on these commutes. Um, you can find us at Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets, The Mix. Um, again, ratings, reviews, subscribing goes a long way for us. Mayo Media Network, we appreciate you and all the followers there um, for giving us this opportunity. So, you know, please give us the love across the and on YouTube, of course. We appreciate the comments, um, the likes there. Got a lot of love after the victory in the, the week one uh, for that. So that was awesome. And two, Tom, i got to figure out this window situation. I mean, I'm getting just, you know, every week having this little glare coming over for me. So We have to uh, re- remodel that office of yours. Yeah, we'll see what will show up with next week. But, um, yeah, so, but with, without further ado, let's dig into these long shots here, okay? So, I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I could group them together, honestly, cool. because it, it's one profile. It, it is popping off with the driver in their early starts here on the DP World Tour 
and being able to, to just see if they have it in their bag, right? And, and that's three golfers right here when we started off with in a row. First one, Jiang Wing Ko. He's available at 175 to one. And we're getting this deep. I'm normally adding not just the top five with it, but I'm going to get the top 10 with them too in there. And, and Ko, if you look at what, what he did, you know, he probably had the, the best, um, I guess, finishes of the bunch, right? I think he finished second or no, fourth in um, the, it would have been, which one was that? The, the Mauritius. So he was fourth, miscut 30th, 66. When you look into the way he finished um, with his off the tee, he was second. And I believe on his miscut, he was inside the top 20 still on per round average. And then he was fourth the week before on his off the tee strength. So, you know, we look at that, you see it's mainly coming through distance. And he had an unbelievable year on the challenge tour, right? I mean, he finished that year off with five top or four top tens in his final six events, seven events. Two others were top 20 finishes there. Like to get through on that tour without a victory means you're consistent and you got the upside there. So he's first one. Second one, when we look into this range um, and we look at the number here, Nick Bacham, Nick Bacham, 250 to one. And why we kind of had Bacham interest. Um, and you mentioned Brad Todd off the top. Aligning with Brad is a thing of beauty. And we happen to be on three of the same long shots without even discussing with each other. So I love that. I love that. And, and Baca was one of them. Baca has been somebody we've been backing for a good amount of time because he had a strong amateur career. I believe he won great uh, either as an amateur or directly after uh, three wins on the pro golf tour, um, basically right away in 2020 and 2021. So it was all, Finally all got three were as an amateur, tour. just to, just to dub it. They all, all okay. three were as an amateur. Love that. And, and he came out, I believe it was first round, or actually he got passed in, in the first round. It was first round of the morning wave. Uh, the week that that uh, Bradbury won, um, so that Jerbrook, so he made the cut. Uh, two of his three starts, but you look at him; he is by far the longest guy. Him and Nikolai and uh, Moeller are separating themselves from a distance perspective. I mean, Bakum has you know the the, the the bag of tricks right there, and he finished inside. With two weeks he made the cut. He was inside the top ten both times. His strokes gained off the tee. Now again. There are questions with the data. That's why we're also guesstimating on this. They weren't IMG weeks, right? So, um, you know, they're, they're caddy weeks. So we'll see uh, when we look there with it. Um, scroll to the next one, right? Let's go one more with it. We're going to go um, the third one. We're getting, again, we're getting deeper. I guess we, Tom, we're going to loop off four of these ones. Two in a row, 350 to one for both of them. Alejandro Del Rey and Gary Hurley. Alejandro Del Rey. We, we talked about him, man, I think it was in the Cannery Islands, that stretch we had a couple of years ago. Was that two years ago now? Yeah. I think so, right? Yeah. So stud, stud out of Arizona State. Set records, Arizona State, is I believe like par five or like Eagles, which means, right, if you're a good par five score, you probably got some distance in you. You can see he's beating the field by 20 yards basically per event. Finished 30th and 23rd in the first two events in the fall swing after getting through um, Q school. He had a victory uh, in Germany the year before. He did have a top 10 on that swing uh, in the Cannery Islands. Again, he was getting 30 yards plus on the field. Low scoring events, you know, I had to take it deep there. I liked what we saw out of him in a small glimpse. And we know from his amateur career, he had a lot uh, of success from an Arizona State. Catching my wind. We're going to the next one here. And, and this is probably the one I think I'm most excited about if I have to plant the flag with it. 
um, is Gary Hurley. Gary Hurley, um, 30 years of age, um, but he has um, the success from the Alps Tour um, coming into Q School. So victory on the Alps Tour last year, multiple top 10 finishes throughout the year. Um, popped up to the Challenge Tour's first event on the Challenge Tour, finished fifth. I believe I bet him in the Honda Invitational a couple weeks later, missed the cut by a mile. My bad. But we're going back into him uh, for it because you can see first three events, 35th, 32nd, 14th of the fall swing. And what does Hurley do with the best of them? Hurley is up there 12th and 8th in two of those events uh, in strokes gained off the tee and top 10, I believe, in distance in two, if not three of those these, those events. He can hit the crap on the ball. Again, Alps Tour success. Who had that? Guido Migliazzi, Matt Wallace. You know, we, we saw winners come off that tour. They can do it. And I think that, you know, Hurley having that gives him almost even a leg up uh, on some of these guys when he did so well on that tour. Tom, I need to breathe. Over to yeah. you. <laughs> so basically, I'm just going to recap kind of your picks and just give a little bit of thoughts, all of them. So Yongwin Ko, I think, had... You look at the fact that he was third in Mauritius, I think that really bodes well for what you want here. That that strikes me as someone that takes advantage of kind of wide open fairways, gives it a bit of a bash. And I think the same applies to Gary Hurley, who played well there as well. Nick Backham didn't play there, uh, which may be why he struggled a little bit. Like he played all his events in South Africa, which tends to be a little bit trickier, a little bit more accurate. Uh, so now he gets a chance to kind of grip and rip it, and that might just suit him. I think, I think you're right to take this kind of... Um, line on these players i think if you've got a profile and you like it like a norgard miller you, you just go with it and if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out and you just go okay well they're not the talent that i thought they were or could be yet let's wait two or three events down the line when they're finishing 15th 12th and 8th before i go with them again but then the price is gone so you, you kind of you have to find that fine balance i think i'm a little bit late normally you may be a little bit early and there's kind of a, a kind of a fine line between the two. Like, I think one of your things, one of your greatest assets is you'll go deep into to finding what these 500, 300 one shots are good at. Uh, whereas I will probably go by, like I know John Murphy is, is a kind of strong talent that people expect to do well. And he was getting kind of spot starts on the PJ Tour last year. He's 500 to one. But other than that, I wouldn't dive too much into it because I just have a belief in the kind of guys I pit near the top. So I think it's important to go with these guys couple of players I did think that were worth mentioning, a little bit shorter than the kind of group that you gave. Sean Norris, I thought was interesting. Uh, he was ninth here last year uh, in this event, and then he made the cut the following week, but wasn't quite as impressive. I think he was like 42nd. When you look at where he finished last week, 65th, but he was fourth going into Sunday, shot a final around 79. And I don't know if that's kind of come back on a Monday, it's a little bit frustrating but he shot two middle rounds of 67 to, to really climb up he got better every single round and just had that poor final round uh so i was interested in that and then matthew pavon made the cut and finished 28th in Abu Dhabi, which is impressive enough they missed the cut last week but pavon was someone that we were talking about you know almost every week you know, we, we talked about vehement and, and people like that pavon was certainly up there as well he finished third in this event last year Final round 66 to close. Obviously didn't really have a chance to win given what Nikolai Hoygaard was doing. But then he came back the following week and he was ninth going into the final round as well. So I just wonder if we've given up on a couple of the players that we've seen, not, not me and you personally, but the, the market in general. I mean, Pavon's 100 to 1 and Sean Norris 125 to 1. Norris hasn't been playing very well, uh, you know, generally speaking. And Pavon has tailed off a bit, but... 
it's, it's so hard to judge. You've already made the point of, of where these players are at when they're comparing themselves against Rory, Fleetwood, Hatton, Lowry. And I know that those guys didn't all come to the fore last week. It was more kind of like Rory Reed and things. But, but like when there's so much of that going on and I guess the mindset is different. Like you walk in and you go, right, well, if they play their best, I've got to, I'm probably playing for seventh. Uh, whereas this week it's like, well, actually, if I play my best, I'll win. Uh, and I think that just kind of doesn't, it probably doesn't relax you, it probably puts you under more pressure. But um, I just think it's it's really important. Different mind shift on a Wednesday of, of who you've got to go up against. But looking at last week, I mean, just a general comment. Patrick Reed second, Ian Poulter sixth, Richard Bland eighth, Henrik Stenson eighth. I don't like it, but it's, it's you know, important to note, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, they did take some of these golfers who, when you compare them against the class of the DP World Tour, were, were some of the top guys, right? So when they step back in, they can absolutely compete with the best of them. Um, and Norris was a guy we were intrigued at at, at times, you know, in, in that kind of group of golfers. Could I close this out with one more, Tom? You said playing well. You said somebody, you know, when we look into this and, and the invitation comes from the success on a specific tour, when you only have, you know, status on one, it's all you can do. <laughs> and when you win six times on one tour, Tom, you're finding a way on, onto my card. It, it, not even just that. 500 to one. 500 to one. Six-time winner in 2022. For Manu Gandas, 26 years old, you know, with the OWGR making its moves, he's just inside the top 500, right? These these are victories that are small in scale, you know, relative to some of the other tours. But, I mean, if, if you're doing it, you just have that, that mindset for the year in which you're going to graduate to the next tour. And then who knows? We might never get a chance to, to get this guy 500 to 1 again. He might live 500 to 1 plus for, for the season, right? I really have no idea. However, you know, this guy was the favorite, you know, week in and week out on PGA Tour of India, small, short odds. And, you know, I, I'm going to take that shot. 500s, man. And this is the thing. We were both on Minwoo Lee last week. The way I personally set up my betting card, we have three selections, 350, 350, 500. I mean, I could probably even throw the, the 250 in there. Those four probably equal one Minwoo you know, allocation of, of units, you know, I'm yeah, not really I'm sure. somebody, no, yeah. but, 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 you know, I just want to make sure I'm not here to, to teach proper betting or the way you can go about your cards, the way you want to go about your cards and the confidence in that the way I personally bet, I, I'm willing to go deeper and, and open up seven guys on my card here. It's probably even a, a less unit card, uh, you know, but top tens with these guys, even top 20 on Gondas uh, for the week. I might even throw in some, some first round leaders with these guys. Um, even at these deep odds, we've seen some some long shots. Even you know, Aberg last week kicked myself up a little bit for that, right? You know, um, you're getting into the 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 wild west with first round leader on the DP World Tour, but it's just conviction in the same guys. And, and I'm I'm excited when you get somebody like that with a profile on this tour at these odds. Yeah, and I'm just looking at kind of just looking back while you were talking there about Manu Gandas, those six wins sort of stacking them up against the likes of Anaban Lahiri and Shavon Kashama, and they were like three or four wins a season. And that was probably yeah. considered dominant. So six, that's, you know, I, I guess that there, I mean, who have we had um, from India, right? I mean, we've we've had those two guys I mentioned, Jeev Mikul Singh and people like that. Like we've had some success from Indian golfers in the past. Yeah, so, SSP, Charizia, yeah, yeah. Right. 
Rashid yeah. Khan, I think, you know, played some DP World Tour stuff as well. So, and he, like, when you look at back at like leading money tour winners, is him quite often uh, on that tour. That, you know, it, it's they're anomalies rather than the rule. Uh, you know, it's not the easiest path compared to like the European guys that come off the Nordic golf leagues and and pro golf tours and things like that. But like you say, it's a they can only play where they can play and. Six times. I mean, you, you win anywhere six times. We had a Trilby tour over here, but they used to just wear a Trilby hat, and that was all that qualified for them. Um, and and you you would pick people off of that. So, um, I know when you mentioned to me earlier, I was kind of like, you know, that's probably one I don't know anything about. Uh, but just looking into it is pretty impressive. So, yeah, I think it's like you say in terms of unit allocation. I mean, what have I got to put like twenty units on Nikolai Hoygaard to even match just a one unit bet on on Manuganda? So. Why not? And, and I mean, truthfully, the one that really um, I, I owe looking into Gondas on is our friend Jude Deloy, right? Jude yeah. uh, at Jude underscore UT4. Um, and he, he's somebody who got us on. And when you think of prolific winners early on in small tours, the one that comes to mind, and it was a little bit of a younger age, but Jihyung Kim, Tom Kim, right? And, and Jude was writing up, you know, Tom Kim years before he kind of broke on the scene. His most wins in one season uh, or one year was three, right? Yeah. Six yeah. W's out of this guy. He's 26 years old. Didn't really have it going for him the last few years. It's a little bit different. Um, but man, Jude has been pounding on it for Gondas and 500 to one, man. I'm taking that shot. It's worth, oh, it's worth finding out. I mean, look, like any listeners yeah. over in the UK will be able to back him at a thousand to one on Betfair. So, um, yeah. you know, just go and do that. I mean, it's what is it? It's less than the price of coffee to, you know, pay for. Yeah. Well, I don't mean I don't know how much people's mortgages are these years, these days, but uh, <laughs> you know, it, it helps. So I think it uh, might cover it. Yeah. Yeah, it would it would cover it for a few months, wouldn't it? So, um, yeah, I, I would certainly uh, give it a go. Perfect. All right, let's uh, let's recap and we'll close it out. Yeah. So for me, it's Nikolai Hoygaard at twenty two to one. Diorbjorn Olsson at 35, 40 to 1. Connor Seam, 55, 60 to 1, whatever best you can get. Johannes Veerman, 66, 70 to 1 in different places. Uh, so that's it for me. I did look at Sean Norris at 125 to 1. I do think he's uh, worth looking at, but that was the kind of card I had. Yeah, what's perfect is it just transitions right into fly. <laughs> uh, we go Dan, Dan Bradbury, 70 to 1. Kazuki Higa, 100 to 1. And I, I mean, these odds I'm adding each way, as you know, with all of our guys here. Jing Wan Ko, 175 to 1. Nick Bakum, 250 to 1. Alejandro Del Rey, 350 to 1. Gary Hurley, 350s. And then Manu Gandas, 500 to 1. Some books didn't even price him up this morning. I got scared. Um, that he wasn't in the field, and boy, oh boy, when they added him in, man, I was licking my lips. Let's do this. That's a big opportunity uh, for him. Those are the kind of guys that get me really excited. They're they're actually on the uh, Kenya Open on the ladies' European tour side this week. I'm gonna have to start uh, brushing up on my safari tour form pretty soon here. <laughs> yeah, that's that. That's when you know you're in the weeds. Uh, there was I remember that one guy that you were on that kind of won one. I, I can't remember his name exactly, but what well, he had, he was winning like eight, nine tournaments a year. Yeah, and that, that's that's the slight concern is are we getting into those kind of yeah. weeds again? But no, it's I think it's always fun to have these guys, and I think if nothing else, it gives people an insight into what else is going on in other tours. You can't you can't possibly keep up with every tour. And Jude does a great job. Brad does a great job uh, of of trying their best to do it. Um, if if you work, you can't really do. 800 tours a week so um yeah hats off to those guys that do do it for sure well awesome well we appreciate you guys as always fun start to 2023 so far 
Let's hope we come back with another winner this week. Thanks again, Tom. Thanks, Mike.